The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network and BBN. The focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, painless podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere through Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. On this episode, Dr. Mark explains that just because you have hands doesn't mean you know Shiza about shoes, mind fright. Chris is finally down from his family tree, and Andrew and Robert talk about whale spit. Sort of. Please, no sperm jokes. I'm your ever-indentured announcer, Michael Bramage, and yeah, I'm still recovering from the last episode, too. Now, here are the hats. Andrew, Robert, Dr. Mark, and, well, he keeps showing up. It's Chris. Hello and welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat On, the show where, hell, even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends, Robert Anthony and Christopher Vacano, and our good friend, Dr. Mark C.E. Peterson. Welcome back, guys. How's everybody been over the intervening couple weeks? Hey, doing great. I'll edit out the silence again. Yeah. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Well, we had a hell of a show last time, didn't we, guys? My, my my brain is still spinning. Well, once again, thanks. And Mark, uh, again, pass on to Dr. Hugh Miller. Uh, thanks so much for being part of the show. He was so cool. Yeah, yeah that was that was a lot of fun. It was really enjoying to see the two of you together. I was just going to say that. Having, have, right. This, this having, interaction with what you have was yeah. just incredible. And having, One of us having known that you guys have known each other for so long, I was anticipating fun, and I got fun. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it one was, of us is Abbott and one of us is Costello, but I, I, think, I think back and forth and back and forth. Honestly, yeah. it, it came across sort of like a professional sibling rivalry. A a bit. Bit. Yeah, sure. That's actually I see good. that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, number one, we're going to try to keep this show a little bit short to give you folks all a breather. I imagine people are still going, what the? Um, what? One of the things that I really valued and value today as far as my own consumption of media being that I have a background in philosophy that means not a whole lot, um, but I, I value philosophy for how it helps me think, how it helps me view the world. And one of the things I was really grateful for is, uh, with you and Dr. Miller, is, is starting to have some explorations of philosophy uh, with three dummies like us. I mean, we are all educated yeah. to one degree or another, but so, we're nothing special. You know, the funny thing about that to me, and I, this is one of the reasons Hugh and I got along right away, is there are different attitudes about what you're supposed to do when you do philosophy. Mm-hmm. And he and I both settled back on 
Plato, I think we might have mentioned this the other week, but Plato has this, my favorite definition of philosophy is from his little book called The Phaedrus. Mm -hmm. And it's just Socrates and one of his buddies go walking outside of the gates of Athens and have this conversation. But the definition, and I've really, I've really embraced this, is he just says, well, philosophy is just conversation with your friends. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it, what I love about Plato is that sounds completely and stupidly trivial. But on the other hand, listen, we've all been up at uh, a Waffle House or a George Webb's or an IHOP <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the freaking morning with your butt. Pounding the right? coffee. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're pounding that, uh -huh. that lousy coffee, you're eating patty melts, and you're talking shit. And it's like, and then suddenly what it does, it'll do this deep dive into the, into the, into the deep water. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's all he's on about. I still think that's exactly right. I still think that's exactly well, right. Well, I, it's, it's, I think it's exactly right, too. And you brought up, yeah, that was me 30 years ago, literally, writing my paper on Phaedrus for you, oh, you did, yeah. in George yeah. Webb's Eaton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and by, patty melts. Right, yeah. For everybody else uh, that's not a Wisconsin people, George Webb's is a long-standing institution. I imagine they're still going, Mark. Oh yeah, they're here. Okay, yeah. thank it's God. The I'm Waffle glad. House of Milwaukee. It, it really yeah, is. Um, yeah. Greasy burgers <laughs> done in the the best way possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, the amount of time I clocked in at the uh, West Bend George Webb's writing philosophy papers for <coughs> you is uh, not to be underestimated. But I I like it. I like the idea of bringing more examination of these topics into yeah. just the plain old public sphere. I think um, I can't stand it when people are pedantic and precious about about things that most people look at as an intellectual pursuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's an intellectual yeah. pursuit. Use your fucking intellect. We've got them. Use them. Develop yeah. them. It's a muscle just like anything else. And if all you do yeah. is consume garbage media to entertain yourself. Don't get me wrong. I love videos of cats, okay? But there's more out there. And I think this is something that we're saying to you listening slash uh, viewing audience is that we want to be a little bit more. We want to bring things into the conversation that maybe you wouldn't get somewhere else that's delivered in the same way. We all like to laugh. We all like to examine the world through our own twisted, yeah. warped eyes and lenses and, yeah, and, and filters. And that's yeah. just it. And the more people have access to these kinds of concepts in a way that they can understand, I don't want to use make palatable, um, but well, understand more easily and then go out. And, and look, or even better, shoot us questions. If And by the way, Dr. Mark, we didn't tell you, but you now have an address. Uh, you can get a hold of <laughs> hi-ho at oh, keep ah. your hat on podcast, K-Y-H-O podcast.com. My original email address. Thank you, yeah. Andy. You're welcome. I Listen, I got to keep that alive, man. That's one of my fondest memories. You know, a, a, a couple thoughts here. Um you know, first of all, it's it's ridiculous and maybe a little bit appalling, and it feels really silly and strange to be in a place to say this. Mm. But in the 21st century and where we're at, it's I, I feel like it's totally appropriate, and that's just that it's okay to think. Yeah, you know, it's, no, that's it's, actually it's, pretty it, well kernelized. Man. So there was a few things. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Chris. I didn't mean. Oh, that. well, well, and the, and the yeah. The, thank you. The the second thought that uh, 
you know, off of that, off of that last episode, you know, that, that was sort of our springboard. One of the things I really appreciated about getting to sit down and talk with you guys was sort of understanding just, just the framework of how philosophy has built up over time and, 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 where the building blocks fit and, and, and that, 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 you know, the later philosophers are building on the work of the earlier philosophers oh, yeah. and, yeah. and it is, it is sort of structural. Um, and in fact, it, 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 it was really funny this week because I saw a quote that made me think of you and, and Dr. Hugh, Mark. Um, and that was philosophy. Anything, anything after Aristotle is irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I got to say, for me, for me, uh, even though my mind ended up um, gelatized, in a fetal position in the corner <laughs> a few times, what what I really enjoyed was being pushed outside my comfort zone, mm -hmm. yeah. and being introduced to these things helped me firm up and solidify my values and my beliefs, maybe just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Right, but it's never um, fucking aliens. Sorry, bud. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll get to that. You just wait. We'll yeah. get there. Um, but really, firming up my mind and and being challenged to sift through things and figure out what it is that I wanted to hold on to yeah. in terms of a philosophy, of a perspective. Yeah. Uh, and I think that we all forget especially when we're challenged like that, we forget that we're being challenged like that. And oh, that's so what the the crux of the matter and the whole exercise is about. I, you know, I think it's part of that is you, you guys are seeing this through your Zen practice too. And, and you know, the one, there's this weird kind of wrinkle in the notion of what philosophy is, which is that for the Greeks, the real, it meant love of wisdom, right? That's what it literally yeah. means. But the wisdom part, everybody goes, oh, mysterious wisdom. It's like, now... Wisdom is, uh, and this is, comes out of Plato and Aristotle, but they invented the word, so there you go. Yeah. Um, the wisdom part is uh, recognizing your own ignorance. Mm -hmm. And this is why you need friends. This is why you need to have conversations with your friends, because you can't see your own ignorance, right? No, it's like biting it's your own teeth. Yeah. And, and uh, you can't pull the knife out of your own back. This is why you need friends, right? Because they, they mm -hmm. can see what you're missing. And you need to, and you need to see what you're missing just to become a complete human being. And people hate that, though, Ty. That's what you're sort of, you know. Yeah, I was just, I was people just going like to say it. that they people. You need your friends, but we've gotten into this culture now where your friends are divided and siloed in who believes what I believe, and who's going to back up my, you know, yeah, who, yeah my who agrees with me, who's who's my ride or die. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I agree, but. I think that's one of the things that, that we want to do is we want to be your friends that maybe have a different view. Absolutely right, right. That, and that's what you need friends are, that's what friends are for, really. You know, um, one of the weirdest things I started doing this about probably 10 years ago or something now is um, I would get into it with um, some, of my, some people I know locally on the local Facebook groups for like the school board or like local government and all this stuff. And you'd find people in there trolling the thing, right, typically. Yeah. And I would just engage with them. And then when things got really heated, I'd invite them to go have coffee. Yeah. And, and it, it was amazing to see what would happen. Um, 
is nine times out of ten they would say absolutely not mm -hmm. because they were afraid to. But the times when they've actually done this, it's like you just have to listen to uh, people who are angry like this and give them a chance to talk. And then when you treat them decently, then they stop being jerks about it. Yeah, it's and the it's old like, it's the old internet saying it's always easier being a rampant asshole at a distance. That's right. 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 Yeah. When you're when you're separated by these barriers of a keyboard and a computer screen and uh, you know, it's it's much easier to engage in a productive dialogue and really connect with somebody when you sit down face to face, and even yeah. more when you when you do it over a cup of coffee or you yeah. break bread together, you share a meal. Yeah, and you know um, that's 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 when you get to know somebody. And the thing for yeah. me, and you know, it, it's interesting that you know when when I first met Doctor Mark, which was ninety ninety one. Um, we were both pretty major computer. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, um, uh, we were both pretty much major computer users, and we were both we were both getting on the internet, not dial up. We were both getting on the internet at the same time. He Early. threw he threw the yeah. university and me because my dad was a, a major uh, guy in industry, and he was bringing me home all these crazy ass computers when I was a child. So, yeah. um, but you know things like Fidonet and news groups yeah. and, and all that stuff. We were yeah, yeah Usenet, Usenet, yeah, Usenet, Usenet we were we were doing that at the yeah. same time and we uh, you know we both i think saw the amazing utility of being able to communicate over vast distances both physical distances and intellectual distances as well um and you know we we were aware of the fact that and i remember actually mark you and i having a conversation where we were kind of riffing on what could possibly go wrong with this internet thing <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I don't remember which one of us brought it up. It was probably you, but I was feeling the same thing. And that is the only thing that I'm really concerned about, which is a positive and a negative. The positive is that you have safety and anonymity where you can oh, put yeah. your, you can put your voice out there and not fear direct reprisal. But then at the, on the other side of the coin is, but then you've got that anonymity, which means that the assholes are going to come out of the woodwork like yeah. termites swarming. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, some, and they and they they did figure it out. Although for a while, I mean, there was a pretty good run, where, you know, people were pretty. I, I mean, yeah, flame wars would break out on Usenet, mm, and, yeah. and and that was usually more points of contention. The the thing that struck me in those early days of of the internet, and uh, I was doing a lot of mudding and mushing, mm -hmm. and. <laughs> um, Mud. And for, for people who don't know, uh, mud and mush are uh, plat game platforms that are, that well, were used when, in the uh, early yeah, days. Yeah, mudding is is gaming. Yeah, multi-user mushing dungeon. was just kind of pre-Facebook. It was yeah, socialization. exactly. It was a socialization. It was, it was mechanism. It was hang out and, and talk. Mm -hmm. um, and I especially liked the mushes because it was a chance to like get to know people and not have this whole pretense of a game. And you know, my elf pulls out his plus two sword and stabs it in the dragon's throat. You know, uh, I, I didn't. I, I mean, I love gaming. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm. I'm really I think you just that. gave that away to people, Chris. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but plus, not sure. But, but but there were times where I uh, you know I I found I really enjoyed just sort of connecting with people, and one of the things I observed even in those early days was because of that safety and anonymity, a lot of people found that they could be the person that they wanted to be, mm -hmm. not the person they really were, or or yeah. they could project any sort of of image of who they were, but. 
if you came into that context and 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 a, and a lot of people were using it for you know very self-serving purposes you know guys being on there trying to pick up on girls you know trying to puff themselves up to be you know much more ma- masculine and and what have you than they than they really were um but if 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 you met that with authenticity you know and transparency and hey you know this is who i am and 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 good self-awareness um it it it, it would tend to crumble in 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 the course of a conversation and and you could start to get to who the real person is and what i found is that the real person behind the behind the facade um was almost always more more interesting interesting. yeah i think (laughs) much more but mark i think your technique of Taking it from the virtual into the 3D realm, I think, is one of the most powerful techniques there is. Because when you're in somebody's bubble, when you're able to literally and figuratively reach across a table and see the the fellow humanity that's shared, that right there, that's one of the most powerful tools there is for understanding. The first time I did this, it really scared the hell out of me, honestly, because it was like, oh, here we go. And the guy, um, I won't tell you his name, but... I, I really am. I'm really fond of him, and he is a right-wing fundamentalist Christian who believes that evolution is cooked up and all the rest of this. And we would get into these little tussles on a local on the local West Bend school board page about what they ought to be learning in class and stuff. But what I noticed was that he was always civil. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like he didn't have to be. And um, it turns out that's because he actually took his Christianity seriously. Oh, oh. All right, then. Well. Boom. Well, so it's like we ended up having coffee, and it turned, you know, we chased this down. He and I are still joking that he and I are going to come up with a manifesto from the, from the left and the right at the same time and walk into a school board meeting together. Um, I just invited this other guy out. Um, we'll see what he says. Uh, the other day, um, uh, we got into it on Wisconsin Public Radio. And, uh, what do you mean, the validity thereof? Him. Well, I, yeah, I got into it. I, I made some crack about, you know, the, uh, the local uh, Republican Party is once again uh, uh, denying the, it's not accepting federal funds to help fix the schools because blah, 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 <sighs> blah. And I made some crack about, wouldn't it be nice if they voted for a, a, a more just and equitable America? And some, this guy jumped down on me and he goes, there is nothing in our Constitution about America being a just and fair society. You should really study history. And so I just wrote him back and I quoted the preamble to the Constitution. And I said, <laughs> in order to this, form a more perfect union. What about that part? Yeah. And then he, he comes back, he goes, well, nice cherry picking. Oh, Jesus. And it was like cherry picking. So I wrote wow. it I'm just, <laughs> really? you, I'm just giving you a sense of the ramp up here. So well, anyways, it's, it's like they put it first because it's the most yeah. important. That's like pointing at the tent pole and going, oh, yeah, wait, wait to point to the only thing that's holding this entire thing yes, up. See, that's right. <laughs> so, I, he wrote, so I wrote back and I said, well, let's review. I said, you know, you asked me, I said, you, he said, there's nothing in there. I said, but the preamble, like the whole point of it says that we should. And he, he wrote back something, blah, 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 communist, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I know. He said, you, you know, um, you, know un- you have no understanding of what our founding fathers had in mind for this country. <sighs> so, you know, it's one of these things. And these are all like, I think these are all just like internet troll, like algorithms, right? Yeah. 
Well, so you're right. They happen on their own without personal intervention sometimes. So, of course, now at this point, now I stalk him. So I go look at his Facebook feed, and he's just over in Hartford. He's just over here, uh, uh, you know, uh, 20 minutes away. So I invited him over for coffee. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is the anti intellectualism that is happening in our world right oh. now. And then we're also going to talk about maybe some of the reasons why. Pursuing and understanding a little bit of formal philosophy is useful. But meanwhile, you're watching Keep Your Hat On, the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Chris. I'm not Chris. No, you're and not. And you know what? I'm going to be fair, and I'm not even going to edit it. That I'm not going to edit that out. You know what? I think you should say, uh, uh, I'm Chris. You know. That's Phil. Yeah. That's Bob. No, you're not Bob. Whoa. I'm Andrew Everybody Scott. Everybody wants to be Chris. That's Dude, Chris Vacano. My dad's name is Bob. That's not Bob. That is Robert. And that's Dr. Mark with the, uh, the only Tootsie Pop in the mix today. And we'll be back after this. This is the Narrowband Broadcast Network. Sit tight. We'll be back in a second. Bye. We'll be right back. Really. This is Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott, along with the weekly figures, Dr. Mark Peterson, Robert Anthony, and Chris Vacano. And we're going to talk a little bit about something that I think we've all been suffering, I guess I'd say it, uh, in our society and culture these days, and that is, when did it suddenly become wrong to be more educated and to pursue intellectual ideas that maybe don't necessarily jibe with your personal feelings about a topic and dr mark um you've been wading through this now both publicly as an educator and privately as just a good citizen of our fair nation and you've been in often you've been engaging purposefully with people who have yeah. not only opposing views but aggressively opposing views and then in the public forum they're being very vociferous and vocal uh, about this yeah. what's your take on this why have we uh, and you as an educator why have we suddenly gone from bettering yourself intellectually is always good a la you know plato's cave and aristotle to criticizing people who have intellect criticizing their ideas criticizing their pursuit of a broader view what where does that come from um and i have no fucking idea is a totally acceptable answer i'm just looking here for it so there was a very famous book by richard hofstetler in 1963 called anti-intellectualism in american life 1963 and um when i think about this uh I, there's always been a real so if I think about this psychologically 
the the real dangers with and see intellectual the word intellectual is itself kind of like this opaque mask of yeah. something else. It's like a boogeyman. And but because what we're really talking here about is just thinking things through, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what it really the real trick to this is not just thinking things through, but to think back to see what you've assumed, right? Mm. You know, I always like you know when I talk about this in class and stuff. Here's the interesting thing about trains. Trains always go where the tracks are. And so, I know. Hopefully. And so, the trick that people always ask, but so if the, you know, the trains are our belief, people always ask about why you have the train you do. And, and that's not the question. The question is, why are the tracks there? And so, it's all of the things that we start with as assumptions that kind of dictate where our thinking goes. Now, so this is the, this is the, 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 uh, you know, the 25 cent psychological answer to this. But I think this is right. This goes all the way back again. This goes back to the Greeks and Western civilization. But you can see traces of this, you know, in Buddhism and Taoism and all the rest, every place else in the world. So people don't like to have their fundamental beliefs questioned, even questioned, because they treat it as an attack on themselves. Right. And and if you think about it, the things we believe that is who we are. Right. That's not just. Mm-hmm. It's not just like oh, you know, it's like it's like the stuff in my in my fridge, right. That's just, you know, oh, these are just the, you know, things I have right now. No, our beliefs actually are our identity. And so I think this is part of it, is that when you start asking people to justify or to, you know, why do you think this? Um, they, they treat it as a personal attack. Um, right. It's almost like saying, why are you ugly? Um, well, <laughs> well, it's the presupposition that you're ugly. And it's like, this also makes the assumption that, so usually when I do this in class, this is the usual the usual joke technique for this is I'll pick some some poor kid who hasn't said anything yet, usually. <laughs> and I'll say, so um, here's your question. Is everything you believe true? And then they'll usually go for a minute and go, okay, it's a trick question, obviously. <laughs> so then they'll think about it and they'll go, okay, uh, no, not everything I believe is true. And then I'll say, well, then why do you believe it? Ah, boom. Yeah. And the reason is is that um, so here's this is again this is just me spitballing this for the last 40 years but I think this is probably right um, uh, most about 90% of the people I actually ever talked to don't really even know what they believe what they do is they simply trot out whatever they heard last mm-hmm. and this explains this explains any number of people on the political fringes because they haven't really thought through what they're doing. They just, whatever they heard last, they just pop out, right? So about 90% of the people don't know what they believe. And then here, the, for the rest of them, the people who actually do know what they believe, almost nobody really takes the time to figure out uh, why they believe the things they do. And, you know, because it's just inherent most of it, right? I mean, it's yeah. the time you're Yeah, it's, it's, it's the narratives that, that we're fed throughout our lives yeah, that, yeah. that shape and inform right. our, our view of the world. Well, and, and in, you, don't get in, to, you don't get to pick any of those. No, right? and in Zen, like we often, yeah, in Zen, we often refer to that as, as the, your story. And uh, one of the things that we very often say when we're dealing with this concept of what do I believe, what do I know, what do I feel, all that, you know, the nexus points of all those things is the, the best progress is made when you drop your story yeah. and you step outside of your story. Yeah, but think about how hard that is, right? Oh, yeah. This is like, this is like it's, telling it's the goldfish. It's frightening to let go of that. 
Yeah, it's just like telling the goldfish that it's in a bowl, and then when it says prove it, and you pull it out of the bowl and it can't breathe, it is really uncomfortable yeah. for the fish. Mm-hmm. One of the um, things um, that I have, as I'm listening, <coughs> I'm hearing a lot of why questions. And one of the things that really helped my communication was when I realized that asking why is an indication that somebody's done something wrong. Sometimes, well, very often, so, yeah. A better way to come at a question instead of why is how. How did you yeah. come to that viewpoint? Exactly. How did you come to land there? Um, because then that you're looking lends at the a process. little bit more curiosity, mm-hmm. and and in that within that curiosity, creating that vessel of curiosity, you actually get that person to open up and to start explaining and examining a little bit well and that's it's a great technique and i i've done similar in the past through learning uh and being trained in nonviolent communication and and nvc oh here Uh, we go and and that is that yeah if you ask somebody why they are immediately defensive if you ask somebody how Everybody likes to talk about themselves. And so giving them an opportunity or an avenue to explain themselves and their journey will, A, get you to an end point faster. And also, it'll generally speaking, it'll be a more genuine explanation because they don't feel the need to throw up a bunch of rationalizations to their choices. Right. You know, I, really think, I think I think Hal also also puts us uh, opens our thinking onto the helping track. Mm-hmm. So so you're seeking their help when you say how. Yeah. Uh, you're uh, you're you're uh, you've basically opened the door and and expressed that you are receptive to new information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so this is really important to emphasize this because this is one. This is a way to really get at, I think, the sort of psychological problem, the dangers that you know people feel when you start asking this stuff. When you're doing this like conflict uh, mediations, right? This is the one thing, as they say, you never ask why. You never ask why, because it it immediately uh, polarizes the situation. But think about why, right? Think about why it polarizes the situation. It's because, I, and this is again spitballing. Uh, most people don't know why they do the things they do. I'm just gonna I'm gonna just lay down with that one. Well, and they don't yeah, and, and they don't true. want to also, examine why they believe it. Oh no, my God! It's think yeah. about you're opening up the box, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the that's mm-hmm. the real that's the real danger. This is why, for instance, the same thing applies here for you guys. It's like, you know, I challenge my students in, when I'm when I'm in this sort of uh, uh, content zone to try to sit quietly on, you know, if any of you done any meditation before, it's like, no, okay, okay, before you go to bed tonight, sit on the end of your bed and stare at your clock quietly for 10 minutes and see how long it lasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a you newbie know, that's like, just like dragging them over the coals. It's all oh, like, this is so right now, has, having held a number of positions uh, in the Zendo, mm-hmm. yeah. one of those uh, uh, being a timekeeper. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, we were both doing and that. And basically, years. what that means is you have, you get to keep track of the time and call everybody back from wherever they go uh, in meditation. Mm-hmm. Now, when I had this position, I'll tell you what, I had this idea of, you know what? This time I'm just going to stare at the clock. <laughs> your it was eyes, the longest. Your eyes itch so bad. Oh my God. <laughs> It's, it was the longest 20 yeah. minutes that I ever sat, and uh, I never did it again. No, 
It is so uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And I did the same. Robert, I actually think you took over from timekeeping for me while we were still at the old building, if I remember that right. Um, and I did something very similar where, yeah, we had this little, that, remember that beat up clock that we used to use? Mm-hmm. It, it looked like a kitchen timer. I actually always wanted it to go <laughs> off and go ding. Um, but yeah, the, the being observant of the measurement of time while it happens just makes your eyes want to bulge out of their sockets like Marty Feldman. Oh, yeah. It is just so uncomfortable. And then yeah. I started to do, because in, in our tradition, generally speaking, we don't meditate with our eyes closed. We meditate with our eyes partially closed, right. but open and, and observant. Um, right. And I started doing it where I would, I did the math, and I figured out how long it would be in my own measured breaths. And I wouldn't look at the clock. And then I would give myself like a 10-second cushion before I was supposed to ring the bell. And then I would look at the clock and see how close I was to time. I was always so wildly off. There were a couple of them where we had, we had you know, 26 minutes worth of meditation. Um, <laughs> but uh, the idea that your own sense of your own belief is something that I find inherently powerful. Um, yeah. I, and you know, I'm not going to try to come off as being something bigger and greater than I am. I have my own um, entrenched beliefs, but at the same time, I've always, from from my my philosophy background, then transitioned into my active Buddhist practice, I've always made a point of trying to keep myself open to be challenged because I saw in members of my family this intellectual entrenchment and a building of walls around beliefs. And I saw that it just made certain members of my family uh, effectively, mentally spiritually emotionally atrophy there is no growth when you've got everything surrounded it's it's like the um the saying that the 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 strongest corn that grows in a field is the one that's most exposed to wind because it's tested early on and i see that very same thing if you don't allow yourself to be tested if you don't allow your beliefs to be tested they're not going to mm-hmm. be very strong. And then at some point in time, right. when the right earthquake comes yeah. along and that intellectual silo collapses, your beliefs right. are going to just be shredded by the shallowest of breezes. Yeah, yeah. If you don't go into that crucible and let your metal get properly fired, yeah, it's it, it's going to become brittle and, and, and shatter. You know, for, for me, what really opened up my thinking, and, and you guys got me sort of thinking back to this, uh, when I was in art school uh, in my first year, um, I, had, uh, I had this professor uh, who actually I worked with throughout my time in art school. Uh, I referred to him as my tour mentor. Huh. Um, I get uh, it. And, and he was great. Uh, he was, uh, because he pushed me really hard, but, uh, in that first year I had come in, you know, I had already been painting. I had already sort of found what I thought was a voice. I was doing work a certain way, a certain style of work. I, and, and, and I was constantly fighting with it and getting very frustrated that, um, that, that the work wasn't, 
you know what what was appearing on on the substrate on the canvas or the board or whatever was not what was in my head or what I what I wanted it to be and you know he taught me very much that that it's a it's a dance between the two and and you really have to listen to the canvas and and let it you know let it be your guide and let it be what it what it's becoming and at one point um he 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 was getting frustrated with me because I was so stubbornly clinging to you know this 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 preciousness about my work um and he said, "Okay, Chris, you keep trying to make good work. you should run at making bad work you should I, I, your assignment for the next three weeks is to go out crank out and the garbage." Bring back three absolutely horrendous paintings. Uh, uh, you know, just it's an really, awesome. It's an awesome really technique. Bad. Yeah. And 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 what it did for me was it expanded out into my in, into my thinking about how I think about things, and and uh, and into my worldview of of and and untangling identity from ideas. Um, it, it got me to a place where I have no fear of being wrong, and in fact, a lot of times I'll run at being wrong so that I can be righted, uh, because that's how I learn. There's a kind of artistic temperament that's really handy here, which is that everybody who does any anybody who's in the performing arts, you know, visual arts, any kind of art at all. The only way you're ever going to get good is when you get this eye for self-criticism and you can see what you're doing wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And it'd be nice if if you could carry that over into uh, into the rest. You know, if people could could learn to do that and then carry it over into the rest of their lives. But somehow the the beliefs that we have about ourselves remain inviolable, right? Mm -hmm. So you can criticize somebody's technique, but that doesn't mean I'm not an awesome artist. You know, people like this. I'm guessing. Yeah. Right? I'm the best artist in the world. It's like, well, you know, your work really sucks. It's like, yeah, but I'm still great. Yeah. It's like, mm, okay. Yeah, and I, I think actually, uh, you know, this this underscores, um, this underscores a couple of things. Uh, most of the the you know the really dedicated and trained artists. I think there are artists who are serious about what they do, and and carry it with them through through life and and i i view art less as a practice and more as mm -hmm. a a a, a worldview uh, a way you approach the world a, a, a way you do things mm -hmm. uh, the practice is is almost the byproduct of that um but most of the really dedicated serious artists the ones who have committed themselves to it or or even more so the ones who are driven because like me i i've had a number of people ask me through my life what 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 prompted you to become an artist uh, you know why do you paint and my answer is because i can't not make art yeah, uh it's good. it's there there is a drive deep inside of me that i don't understand and i don't need to understand i just follow it uh, but but those serious artists, they do bring that temperament. They bring that view and that ability for self-criticism. Um, I've seen the the extreme other side of the coin where sort of more the dabblers that that we had come through our art school classes and that i've that I've encountered out in the world since then, uh, who are 
I mean, first of all, they're so intimidated by making art because they're aware that there are all these dedicated, committed artists out there in the world. And so they really cling on to it as an identity thing and, and to the point where they're almost apologetic. And if you criticize, uh, particularly if, if, if your criticism is, is challenging or harsh, they can take it very, very personally. Oh, like, yeah. like you've just deconstructed them, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's it's uh, it's something I, I think you also learn <laughs> as as an artist. Uh, you learn to read and understand people and read the room. Yeah. Um, and 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 you learn diplomacy. Um, well, I think this whole and, thing brings us around to an interesting point, Chris, and an interesting point to pivot. And that is, you know, you brought up why you pursue art, why you became an artist. Mark, why did you pursue philosophy? Why did you become a philosopher? What was oh. there at your at your stepping yeah. out point that made you go, oh, I I I don't want to do this. I have to do this. And I would love to give you a, a romantic version of, of uh, <laughs> mystical insights right. that would be bullshit. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the real reason was, is like, I really loved everything I did in college. Mm. And and part of the trigger was, so like the, the um, you know, the literature and history, I was a history philosophy double major, and I think I almost have minors in like German and statistics, and it's just fucked up after that. <laughs> but the real reason was, it was like... Um, and it wasn't like, you know, I had, I had this, like, longing and, and love of intellectual activity. I really liked learning about everything. And, um, you know, I grew up, my dad was a scientist. I grew up washing test tubes in his labs and stuff. And so I was probably not going to go do science because it's like, you know, okay. But all this other stuff I was fascinated. And so when I, when I got to, you know, junior year or so, and I have to sort of declare majors, I have history and philosophy, but uh, the only... The only thing that would let me do everything was philosophy. Right. So if I kept going in college, <laughs> see, I could have always quit and gone. I was going to go to work for newspapers, right? I was thinking about journalism, that sort of thing. But I thought, eh, let's try graduate school and see how it goes. Um, uh, the only discipline that let me do literally everything um, was philosophy. And so, for instance, you know, um, I did all my outside coursework in the history of science and technology, right? Mm-hmm. For instance. And um, so tons of history and all the rest of that. So that was pretty much it. And so it's like there was nothing specifically about philosophy as a discipline. Um, It was wholly and totally selfish. Philosophy was the thing that was going to keep you most entertained. Essentially right. (laughs) That's That's as good a reason as any. I wish more people would make their decisions like that. I mean... I'm listening yeah. to Chris, and I love. By the way, Chris, I've, I've been, I've stalked some of your work, and I love your paintings, dude. But it's, oh, and I hate you. them. Well, we'll throw the, we'll throw, them. throw, we'll throw a couple of them up here. We have the ability yeah, to yeah, do put that. Put them up there for me. Yeah, the reason sure. I hate you. The Can most I get the rights, is Chris? That, is that I actually <laughs> yes, studied? <laughs> I actually studied watercolor pretty seriously, and it didn't help at all. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I'm still, I'm Facebook friends now with my high school art teacher, who was like one of the great teachers I ever had, this guy James Kirkpatrick, and um, I learned a lot from him, and one of the things I learned <laughs> is that 
you really have to draw all the freaking time if you want to get good at painting. Mm-hmm. And I just could, I just never did. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> so, good enough it's reason. True. And, and you have to draw in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a little bit hard to explain, but it's everything from, uh, you know, drawing in a little notepad, you know, just yeah. doing little doodles yeah. on up to, you know, full body life drawing sessions yeah. at an easel yeah. where the physicality of the mark making is completely different because my, then you start to train your muscle memory and that translates to brush strokes. My, and favorite, my favorite cousin of all time, my, my cousin Diane, who was my mother's age, um, and she's been dead for a few years now, but she was a real artist. She was up in Minneapolis. And, you know, I, I knew her my whole life and I never saw her once without a sketch pad something. or something, doodling something in her hand. Yeah. But so this is the kind of dedication it takes to do that. But so I was thinking about art too, but it's like, I'm really good at aesthetics, but I'm very bad at painting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, why, that's why you pursue woodworking then. I am good at, I'm pretty good in 3D. Actually. I know you are, actually. Yeah. I still remember Elvis. I still really He's on the front porch. I'll, is I'll he still really? We can put him up here. Excellent. Oh, he looks terrible. No, it's yeah, absolutely I'll, I'll, ghastly, and I loved it from the moment I first saw it. He's worse now. I'll put. I'll get. I'll send you a picture. You can put him up. Time has not well, been and, kind and, and, to the king. You know, I think. I think you guys are on the right track here. Uh, this. This is what. And 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 this is my personal view. I'm. I'm something of a heretic uh, among my artist friends because. Uh, I don't believe, and, and this is not all my artist friends by any stretch, but there is, there is an undercurrent of thinking that only certain media are ah, oh. high art media oh, or are correct art media. Well, at least Banksy and, came along and said, fuck you to all those people. Well, yeah, I mean, spray paint, sure, yeah. but, but let's, let's get away from paint Warhol, on a man. surface. I mean, right? uh, the uh, people who stack rocks... That is art. Yeah, Andy um, Oldsworthy. Right? Um, I love that guy. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. And that's just ahead, yeah. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Oh well, well, no, that 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 was sort of the completion of my of my point is is for me art is is the 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 assembling of objects in a way that they would not otherwise have come together had it not been for your intervention as the artist well and um you know i'm gonna go back and grab a word that peterson taught me and i remember just how much learning about this word blew my doors off and that is this concept uh, this greek concept of erite and for me erite is really truly the nexus point for art and that is, yeah, like you said, Chris, building rock cairns or doing some of these crazy balancing things with rocks. That, mm-hmm. to me, that's as art as arty needs to be because somebody did that with such a sense of excellence. And, mm-hmm. like, um, who's, who's this new uh, phenom uh, gymnast? Simone, can't remember her name. She's, oh, she's been around for a while. Well, it shows yeah. how much I've been paying attention to gymnastics. But she's but she, been phenomenal she's for a while. About, yeah, she's amazing. She's about negative four foot two. And watching her just just watching her walk across a room. Simone is, Biles. Simone is, Biles, is thank is you art. very much. Oh. Absolutely art. Absolutely art. And yeah, I mean I'm not and, even and gonna yeah, go into she's exploring the material of of, of 
what a body can do. And the same thing with a lot of my, you know, uh, I spent a lot of years as a DJ. Um, and you know, I, I often go toe to toe with people who say, well, you're not a real musician, you know? Um, <clears throat> and I spent, yeah, I mean, Mark, you remember the old, uh, the old escape club in West Bend that burnt down that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th that's where I was DJing a lot of my time while I was in college and in high school. And later I was DJing in Milwaukee, but you know, I, I always prided myself on people coming up to me after a show and saying, you took me somewhere. It's not just listening to me. That right there, that's art. I mm -hmm. get very angry with people, like you were saying, Chris, when they, when they make so precious one aspect of, of it or another. And when we come back from this break, we're going to kind of pivot off of that and talk a little bit about why a pursuit of understanding philosophy is worth a shit. And with that, this is the Narrowband Broadcast Network. We are the guys from Keep Your Hat On. That's Chris, that's Rob, that's Mark, I'm Andy. We'll be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere. Oh, oh good stuff. We're getting better flying by the seat of our asses. Alexa, play the latest episode of Keep Your Hat On podcast on Amazon Music. Here's Keep Your Hat On from Amazon Music. So that's a thing you can do now. Welcome back once again to Keep Your Hat On. I don't know why I'm talking like this. This is Andrew Scott, that's Chris Vacano, that's Robert Anthony, and that is Dr. Mark Peterson, professor of philosophy. And it just so happens it's handy that we have a philosopher around because I'm going to ask a very philosophical question. And that is, Dr. Mark Peterson, why does philosophy even fucking matter? Um, so, I'll tell you a funny joke. So, <laughs> oh, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, you'll let me know. Uh, <laughs> do I have my rim shot of, plugged in? I don't think I do. Yeah. I'll drop that Boom. in. And, yeah. One of the great weirdnesses in my uh, in my philosophical career was to discover that Hegel, who is like by you know acclamation like the most difficult pain in the ass stuff to read ever written in the history of the, of any language. Uh, I'll back you up there. Hilarious. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but it turns out that he can be hilarious, and so here's here's. Here's, this, here's a brief example. Um, at the, in, the, uh, in the introduction to the logic in the Encyclopedia of Philosophical Sciences, he, uh, he sort of answers this question about why does this matter. And he says, here's an interesting thing. He says that nobody believes that just because they have a pair of hands that they can make shoes, right? In order to, you know, to, everybody, will, everybody will agree that in order to learn to make shoes, even though you need your hands, um, you need to learn about leather. You need to you need to study feet. You need to know what kinds of you know 
foot coverings people like, right? You need to, and then you also need to practice like crazy, right? You, you know, the first time you make a pair of shoes, you have to go to, you got to go find your own master. You got to go find Geppetto, right? Right. And you apprentice yourself to Geppetto and he makes you sweep the floors for two years. And then he introduces you to leather and step by step, he brings you along. And after lots of practice, right, you make your first pair of shoes, you get critiqued, you figure out what you did wrong. You get the idea here, right? So it takes a lot of years and a lot of practice to get good at making shoes, even though we have hands. He says, so here's the thing. Nobody will admit that just because you have a pair of hands, you know how to make shoes. He says, everybody believes that just because you have a brain, you know how to think. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I remember reading that and going, I remember looking at the guy who was reading, we were doing this in a study group in German. I went, I looked at it, I was like, was that a joke? Anyway, apparently. So, but it's, it's <laughs> well, it's like, well, that's the only, but it's that, brutally, it, but it's, it's very true. Well, and totally you taught true. me, you taught me, Doctor Mark, that the best jokes always wind up in the footnotes. The best jokes that, yeah, I got that. Actually, I learned that from um, Gibbon's *Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire*, which mm. is one of those things nobody ever reads. But trust me, just read his footnotes about the Christians. That will change <laughs> your mind forever. <laughs> anyway, um, he didn't. He didn't think too much about Christians. Not really. Um, so, but here's the thing: is like. Uh, uh, philosophy gives you the opportunity to sort of exercise your brain. I mean, I never try to turn any student into a philosopher. That'd be irresponsible. But what <laughs> I do tell them is like, when you seriously engineering, my friend. I was just going to say it's like, it's like teaching teaching people how to make pipe bombs. You know, oh, sure. So um, <laughs> something something you can do something. Right. right. But the the beauty of it is is it gives you an opportunity to um, practice uh, thinking things through and that's the some that's not something you can just do it actually takes some practice and and part of it was what we were talking about before which the idea of being able to be self-critical you know so chris is talking about in art and you guys are talking about your observations off the cushion that practice of, be of becoming aware of what you think about things and how they condition your actions and all the rest of that stuff that shit takes practice you can't just go oh i got this now yeah and so I think these discipline, everything we've been talking about comes back to this idea of you have to sit your ass down and you have to practice whatever it is you're doing. And when you're practicing what you're really doing, and this is the sort of the, the meat and potatoes here, uh, when you practice, you don't just repeat the same things over and over again. When you practice, the whole trick in practicing is to figure out what you're doing wrong, right? And when you're figuring out what you're doing wrong is you're looking for the parts that are missing mm -hmm. and when you're looking for the parts that are missing what you're trying to figure out is what you're ignorant about and this wraps us back around to the greek idea of what wisdom was which meant knowing what you're finding out what you, you don't, don't know and if, so if, if practice could, is what does that yeah if i could chime in you know one yeah. of the other components of practice is not just figuring out what you're missing what you're doing wrong sort of that 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 critical perspective of it mm -hmm. but it's giving yourself the opportunity to discover mm -hmm. new things that you had never thought of before. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a new, in, in my case, like a new way to twist the brush to get a certain, right. a certain yeah. brush stroke effect. Yeah. A lot of times it happens purely by accident, but you're like, hey, that was really cool. Now I can add that to my arsenal. Yeah. And, well, and what's interesting about that, Chris, and thank you for that analogy because it's perfect. And that is, 
really for me, my best times in being educated, I'll say, were when I was coming at it from a place of, I'm going to use this term, mere observation. I was observing what I was doing and what I was learning. And some of the best points of growth are exactly what you just explained, where something happens on accident, but you're dialed in and you're paying attention. It happens in Zen. It happens in Tai Chi. It happens whatever you're doing. If you're baseline is I'm observing what's going on and then something happens either surreptitiously or serendipitously or accidentally and you're there and you felt it happen and you stand back and you go wow yeah okay because now it's not merely intellectual it is a physical visceral understanding comprehension and apprehension of what just happened and then you can carry that forward. And I think that that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I will always, I mean, if I'm one thing in this world for my time on this planet, is I want to be teachable. I want to learn. I want to keep gathering those experiences, not filing them away like they're monolithic points on a data line. I want them to be able to shift. I want to be able to change how I view given new experiences, not necessarily just new education, but new experiences about the life that I'm in. And that's where we're kind of going with this, where the Hegel, the Hegel analogy of just because you got feet or just because you got hands doesn't mean you know anything about that. It, you can practice it um, just because you have a brain. You don't necessarily know how to, and I mean, yes, we all know how to think, but taking that in a meta direction and saying, do I really know how to examine something, including things that are already in here? Yeah. See, I don't think people think that thinking is a skill. No. And that's sort of where all this goes back to. It's like, uh, this is the important thing is like, it reduces thought itself. It's, it's, it's a skill set, man. Mm-hmm. And it's like those of you, you know, if you're in art or if you're in Zen, you, you realize that this thing you could, you know, it just floats around on all, on a, you know, all over the place, right? It's I might, that monk, I, I, it's I might the monkey. Just go taking taking that a step higher, and say that most people don't think of thinking as an active activity. Oh, hmm. but rather think of it as a passive activity. It's just something that happens. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you know, know, my thoughts go through my head, and I don't, and 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 and. It's 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 when you step back into into that sort of that that sort of meta of yourself and observe your thinking. Well, and I think, and you realize, I, yeah, I think, that it's a process and an activity yeah. that you are engaging in. And I think something that Ty and I have that Dr. Mark, you share a little bit is this idea of uh, no matter if you're doing motion exercises, and in Zen we have motion exercises. We have kin hin, which is walking very slow and then walking very fast, and a, a few other physical practices. Um, but this this idea that you when you are thinking you're not actually doing something it's not actually a thing um it's like this magical thing where uh and in zen you know we often refer to because people struggle they think that when they're meditating they should have an empty mind it's it's nothing like that whatsoever your mind is nothing but a gigantic echo chamber 
and the smallest sound will reverberate for hours. So we often, when we instruct people in Zen meditation, we, we say, when a thought comes into your head, treat it like it's a cloud going through the sky, and it's just here and gone, just like clouds do. Same thing with a physical practice like tea, Todd. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're serving tea or whatever. And this idea that thinking is autonomic, well, yes, on one hand, it is. Obviously, I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I think about is, shit, I wish I was still asleep. Um, but at the same time, there is an active role you play in how you think. And spending some time either formally in a college or an institution that, of higher learning that helps you develop that muscle, and I use that term on purpose, develop this muscle, or right. on your own, um, learning about concepts that you have no idea about. I completely understand, and again, thanks to everybody who watched the full episode last time. We know that it was kind of a journey, um, but you made it through, and you you, you done good. Way thumbs up from all us hats, because it was a lot to take in. But just because something is a lot to take in doesn't mean it's too much work for value. Um and, and that drives me really crazy. I, I don't want to be one of these people that says, well, people now are intellectually lazy. But we've got a big bunch of people now who think that thinking and expanding their intellect comes from just watching YouTube videos of somebody pontificating in their basement. And it, it might be a little bit broader than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it I think it is <laughs> quite a bit broader than that. Well, Mark, if you had to give somebody a place to start, where would it be? I mean, I'm talking about the let's go with the classical canon of philosophy. Everybody, even if you don't know what it is, they've heard oh. about Plato's cave. They've you know where really what would be a good primer for people if they want to start examining their life or their experience or the news or whatever through a, a slightly different lens that's attenuated by classical philosophy. Um, where everybody starts with Plato's little book called The Apology. And this is about it's actually it's I think I think it's hilarious, but it's it's the try it's Socrates' trial mm -hmm. where he explains how they <laughs> why it is they ended up putting him on trial and it explains why they're going to kill him. <laughs> and actually, he explains why. They're so it's a him. cliffhanger. Yeah. No. Well, they kill. He him. dies in the yeah. end. You know <laughs> the Titanic him. sinks. Yeah. They kill yeah. him, but there's some there's some pretty funny stuff on the way there and. Um, everybody who saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the character of Socrates in that thing, actually kind of nailed Spot it. Spot on. And and so, that's the that's where everybody in Western philosophy starts is with the apology, and it's apology just means his defense at his trial. Yeah, apology. And that's before he drinks that's the hemlock, right? Right. I drank what? A, a couple, it's actually a month before he drinks the yeah. hemlock. Yeah, about a month, because they can't kill him right away. There's a religious festival mm -hmm. that they have to get in the way. And so there's a bunch of those earlier dialogues where Plato actually walks through Socrates on his way to the courtroom, Socrates in the courtroom. There's this delay afterwards in a, in a text called the Crito, C-R-I-T-O, where they arrange to, his buddies arrange to bribe the guards and bust him out of jail after they've convicted him and oh, are going to sentence right. him to death. Mm -hmm. And he... He and tells he them he can't it. go. Yeah. <laughs> and they say, why not? He goes, well, it wouldn't be right. <laughs> said, but they convicted you. And you can laugh about this now, but it's like, I'll, I'll, we'll share this with you, and you can 
you can edit this as you wish, Andy. <laughs> Thanks. One of the reasons I went into philosophy, I can tell you this now, this was like intro philosophy, 1975, fall. Uh, or, yeah, it might have been late in the spring. And um, uh, Jerry Ford had pardoned Nixon. the draft dodgers in Vietnam. Oh, okay. So I'm at the back. I'm the freshman sitting in the back of the room with a bunch of guys who were coming through on the GI Bill who'd been in Vietnam and a bunch of guys who'd been in Canada and Sweden. And Plato. And so Dr. Donaldson got up and he asked this question. He goes, so if your society asks you to do something unjust, do you have to do it? And in, in Plato's answer to this is, yeah, you do. <laughs> which is not very satisfying no but here's what happened i had we had veterans who'd been in nam who knew full well that vietnam was an unjust war and they went because their country asked them to go mm -hmm. right okay and then we had these guys who'd been in sweden canada who had fled america and refused to go to war because it was unjust you got this mm -hmm. and they knew it was so they'd bailed out and when donaldson asked this question man all fucking hell broke loose I in that bet. classroom. Because these guys were not, you know, draft dodgers weren't, weren't cowards. No. It, it wasn't just that they wanted to, they wanted to avoid dying in Vietnam. They, they were making a political statement about the injustice of the war. And the guys who'd gone to Vietnam weren't a bunch of morons who just, you know, followed orders like sheep. They knew, that the, they, knew they were in the shit for bad reasons. There wasn't anybody who served in Vietnam who thought, yeah, this is awesome. That was the generals in Washington. Yeah. And so Has these two guys did. had these opposing views, and so desks were thrown. Oh, and I'm in the back. Wow. Legit, <laughs> the back Donnie bro. All I, all I can think of is, oh my God, philosophy is cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, we're gonna take one more quick break on that note, and then come back, and we're gonna wrap up a little bit of uh, of our our exploration of uh, young Chris's family tree, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, uh, other than that, sit tight, keep your hat on, Andy, Mark, Chris, Rob, or Ty, or. Bobblehead. Uh, I shouldn't he have said that out loud. known by many names. <laughs> and we'll be right back on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. Again, this is Keep Your Hat On. We'll be back. Hey, everybody. Andrew Scott here from the Keep Your Hat On podcast. I just wanted to take a minute to say thanks for listening and to make sure that you know that there's a video version of our show over on YouTube. Not only do you get to see our lovely faces, and yeah, that's lovely in air quotes, but you also get a look at what we're talking about, and there's slightly different content over there. I mean, like whole different segments, bonus bits, and other stuff that, well, let's just say that it's funnier in your eyes than it may be in your ears. So head on over to the YouTube channel at the link provided in your podcast listening app, click subscribe, and hit that little bell to be notified when new video content goes live. We'll see you there. Well, no, you'll see us there, but you get it. And remember, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Thanks. Now let's get back to the show. And welcome back for this last portion of our show. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Dr. Mark Peterson, Robert Anthony, and Chris Vacano. 
he says with a dangling question mark. So, Chris, you had been, uh, for the last uh, couple weeks, you've been going through your family tree and shaking out a bunch of nuts, as it were. Um, as it were. Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's uh, put a tail on this donkey. Wow. And where have, you, where have you come out with this? What's, uh, what's the okay, latest okay, news? So- so uh, okay, so just a just a very brief recap first. You know, uh, uh, summarizing what we learned from the DNA testing. Uh, two really key points. One is that um, the person that we thought was my dad's father was not right, and so and that and that's where my twenty five percent Jewish comes from. Um, there was some sort of extramarital engagement that resulted in his birth mm-hmm. um and that's a piece that i'm going to go off and explore and try to piece it together i'm i'm not i'm not optimistic right and that of, and that's the because bit, of the times yeah, and the records and that's and, the bit of this that was also kind of weaponized by one of your more distant family members that they uh, seem yeah, to which, have known this and were were holding it over uh, all the other vacanos and, heads and that's an important part of the epilogue here that 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 I wanted to touch on is it was weaponized by virtue of the fact that we didn't know mm-hmm. they knew we didn't right um, and and actually it was weaponized by all three I mean not just not just my dad's sister but his parents mm-hmm. um, and man. Yeah. Once, once it became revealed, I mean, I realized in myself, and my brother and I talked about it. It, it, it just no longer has any, um, any influence, any control. It's, 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 it's what it is. I mean, and and the fact that we have that piece of knowledge now has. Um, essentially inoculated us against any, yeah, any it's, attacks. Yeah, it's taken the, cha- it's taken the uh, bullet out of the chamber. It's just an empty yeah, gun exactly. at this point. And exactly, it's, it's an empty gun. Yeah, um, Yeah. so so the other piece, and I, I touched on this because, uh, but, but I didn't go into it uh, as, as part of our recap, uh, and that's because it was still very sensitive mm-hmm. at the time, and we were still trying to figure out what to do with that yeah, information. Yeah, navigate it, yeah. And that's that my brother and I are actually half-brothers. Uh, in other words, uh, he had a different father than uh, he has, mm-hmm. I should say, a different father. Right, yeah, than I do. according to what you told me, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, my mom was married, she was two months pregnant when she married my dad. Uh, there was room for... Other biology, yeah. Other biology, yeah. I mean, there, 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 there was a possibility. And I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear here to our listeners and viewers that we are in no way (laughs) judging your mother. I adore your mother. Um, Yeah, yeah. You got to. You you actually got to spend some meaningful time with her this week, mm -hmm. and uh, um, yeah, and and I, I mean. Yeah, it's not at all about judgment, and that gets to the real epilogue piece here, which is our, our our first response, my brother and I, when we were talking about this, and what do we do with this information? Yeah, that's because that's kind of the elephant in the room. It's 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 really hard. Yeah, uh, and 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 our uh, you know our first instinct, my first instinct, strongly was 
slam it back in the box, shut the lid, never right. talk about it oh, again. Yeah. Uh, because I didn't want my mom to feel any anxiety uh, about being judged. I right. didn't want her to feel. And I also, you know, if, if, if she knew, I didn't want her to feel any sort of guilt for not telling us. Uh, if she didn't know, I didn't uh, want to deliver a huge with yeah. shock to her system. Yeah. And by the way, uh, I'm going to put a quick asterisk in this story here and come back to something about your mom. So continue on. Sure. Okay. Um, and and so I, 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 you know, I was thinking very much in terms of yeah, we just we just shut this down to protect her. And, I think and, that, that and, was like fifty fifty chance of that happening for anybody going through this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as the days passed after we made that decision, I just felt less and less right about it. You know, I talked to I talked to you guys about it. I talked to a, a number of people, and and you know, Guido and I kept discussing it. And and I kind of came back around a couple days later, and I'm like, you know. I think we need to have this conversation. We're a family that doesn't keep secrets from each other. We don't lie to each other. We've, you know, whenever we've tried that, it's always ended really badly. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to be the one to broach the subject because I am now the outsider. I am, I, I think I've Kinda, got a bit yeah. more objectivity. Uh, you know, I'm not in the center of that dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Um and and also, you know, uh, you haven't gotten a chance to s spend a lot of time with my brother or meet him. Or really. No, I'm looking forward um, to that at some point too. He's he, he's he's got a very different personality than I do, and mm -hmm. and he communicates in a very different way than I do. Uh, and I tend to be a bit more diplomatic. I tend to be a bit more uh, soft in my touch. He's wissy wig. He's he's uh, very wissy wig. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and 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 there are times where he's not even aware of how he's coming across. Mm, okay, um, and 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 I don't mean that as uh, a no, no. I was just gonna, I was going to jump in as well and say for not not for good or ill. It's just that's how some people it's are. It's just the way it is. Yeah, um, and there are a lot of people in the world like that. Um, so so I volunteered to sort of step into the fold or step into the breach. Yeah. Um, and and deliver the information, but also tee it up in such a way so that uh, my mom and, and Guido could Absorb. carry on the conversation yeah. themselves. Yeah, I remember we had that and, discussion when we were taking your car in. You were just like, how do I do this without making it seem like I'm you know, lobbing a flaming bag of dog shit into the room and then running? Well, uh, uh, yeah, and I'll tell you honestly, um, it was it was the single most difficult conversation I've ever had in my life. Not because it went badly; I mean, it went nearly perfectly. Um, but in terms of the, <laughs> in terms of the, you know, in keeping with our theme, the amount of thinking yeah. that I had to do all the thinky pain. Uh, prior to the conversation and then during the conversation um, yeah. and and the, the the careful navigation to deliver this this very shocking difficult message in a way that 
made a number of things clear. One, that nothing was going to change. Mm-hmm. Two, the, the, there was no judgment. Um, and that... Well, and, and sometimes and, and getting people to believe you when you say there's no judgment is its whole own different Everest to climb. Well, and I got, I got one really, really valuable piece of advice from my friend Michelle Soma, who is a listener. So hats hey, off to you, Michelle. Thank you. No, hat, props. Hat, hats on to you. <laughs> That's right. Um, don't use the word judgment. Mm. Just stay away from that word. Stay away from no, any terminology. That's actually a judgment. really good technique. You're right. Um, because you know, it's it, it, it's it, it's sort of uh, I I, <laughs> I forget the writer's name, but don't think of an elephant, right? Oh, right. Uh, yeah. You know, we're all suddenly picturing an elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, so so so. Yeah, I went into the conversation, and 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 it became this conversation about. Um, I, I, she she actually mom turned to me and she she actually said, "Wow, you know, I could see this really disrupting a lot of families. This this DNA poking around, this fascination that we're doing, and this this very casual sort of." thing we're doing with digging around in our dna and, well and that's and, where and we had that conversation afterwards where you're like that should be its whole own show is dna results that just go off the cliff right and 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 you know luckily in 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 an interesting way it sort of brought us all closer together because we're all very intellectual sort of people and we're all very curious about the world and this became a shared set of mysteries for us to explore together. Well, as, that as, brings us that brings us around to how did your mom take it? She actually took it very well. Um, she was she was incredibly relieved that um, that that she was worried that this would this would create distance between you and Gita. Uh, but well, between her and us. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah. And and she suspected. Uh, well, no, I, no. She was she was surprised. Oh, she God. she she actually doesn't recall ever having an encounter with uh, that particular boyfriend that would result in a baby. Uh, I mean that is really that is Chris with his tap shoes on, <laughs> right? You know? I was just gonna say, <laughs> well navigated, son. <laughs> um, but um, you know, we actually we spent a fair bit of time talking about that time in her life, and and um, you know that was that was a that was a challenging and difficult time for a variety of reasons that I won't go into here because that's her story and not mine to tell. Um, but uh, but yeah, so she was relieved that you know the the to to, to hear and know that that we weren't going that direction, that things were not going to go that direction. Um, she was very sort of intellectually curious about it, um, and uh, she had started. She actually had started to ask me questions about Guido's dad. Which and 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 if I could reel it back earlier in the week, where where I finally made the decision that I have to have this conversation and I have to have it soon. Oh yeah, I remember. Was this. was Guido had made contact and had an hour and a half long or hour long FaceTime 
with his father and his father's wife. Yeah, he legit went out and found his biological father. Found him, and and he's still alive and and retired, and uh, and they had a wonderful conversation. And 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 Dito is apparently the spitting image of. Uh, yeah, very, very similar characteristics. Yeah, yeah. I saw a picture, and and looks, and and it makes everything makes so much more sense now. Um, but but the fact that you know, mom asked me, she was like, "Well, Guido's not going to go out and try to find him, is he?" And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like. I'm like you need to have that conversation with Guido. I can't talk about that's this. That's the times. Yeah, that's the portion to... of the story where you fob that off. You go, nah, this ain't yeah. my part. Uh. Yeah, it's like it's like I that that is information that I am not at liberty to yeah. reveal. Well, I I remember um, when we were talking. One of the things that I brought up because you know the the order of operations here is that we started talking about this on the show before you got your 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 results your lab results back and i remember just asking you as as a point of best practices as a producer going should you be talking about this on a public forum and um the thing my asterisk coming back uh from earlier was uh, again chris uh and my partner heather uh were were married they have a, a wonderful adopted son ryan hi ryan sorry i said your name on the interwebs um but uh he just graduated high school and we had for the first time since well before the pandemic we had an actual gathering of like a big chunk of the family, um, including uh, Heather's parents and um, Chris's mom was there, and uh, it, it was it was a good time had by all. But one of the things that I was so touched by, I cannot tell you what this meant to me, is we were wrapping up, and your mom comes through the kitchen and goes, Andrew, I just wanted to tell you, I've been watching some of your videos, and you boys are very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, my heart just went blam. Good night, everybody. Um, yeah, Good night. exactly. Um, and Drive so carefully. my, yeah, my yeah. fear. Thank you, Detroit. We love you, Tip right, Waitress. Exactly. <laughs> Try the veal. Um, no, it was it was great because you know I was concerned that your mother would feel I don't know outed or uncomfortable or something like that. But having this, having had this talk, and knowing that the episode that she probably just watched was actually the one where we started exploring this um made me feel really really good and um that's man if i have to say that we've got a tent pole on this show is that no matter what we talk about we kind of want to leave feeling better than we did before we started um yeah. no that's not always going to be possible but frankly the world needs more of this and the world needs that's more the hallmark of any good therapy right <laughs> is just feeling better than well and i say the same thing about meditation ty it, when somebody asked me uh about why i sit and meditate for an hour at a time even though it's uncomfortable and i think bad thoughts and i feel like shit when i'm doing it i always answer because without exception i always feel having bet feeling better having done it than not having done it well, even you know, even if it's just to get to the other side and say i did it and you just you just nailed i mean even even though that conversation was so difficult having had it was such a massive relief the first time you drop a weight off you feel like you can fly and yeah that's just that's it. right. it's, a, it's a wonderful experience but the only other thing i've got today 
And I just want to give a shout out to Michael Packard, 56 years old, uh, of Provincetown, Massachusetts, got swallowed by a humpback whale. I don't know what that sound effect was right now. But yeah, he got (laughs) swallowed by a humpback whale while he was out um, uh, lobster diving and was in there for about 40 seconds before the whale spat him out. Uh, Michael Packard, you are the luckiest guy on land or sea. And did he, you get the you get the Jonah award. Injuries? Yeah, uh, he the only thing he said was that he was bruised up pretty badly. Yeah. But yeah. had no I, I had saw, no had no broken bones of any kind. I saw the uh, uh I saw an interview with him. Oh, did you really? And at first at first he thought it was a shark. Right, but then he said I didn't feel, I didn't feel I I didn't feel any pain and then I suddenly sensed the motion of the whale swimming. So he said that he didn't feel any teeth mm-hmm. initially. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it couldn't have been a shark. Right. Right. And, and it wasn't right. until the whale spit him and out that he kind of realized what it was. Yeah, he had just been um, banging into the, the baleen for a while yeah, until until, right. the, they have, yeah. until he went, oh, this is a monkey. I don't eat monkeys. I eat little <laughs> krill and shit. You know? so, 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 so a humpback's mouth, I mean, uh, honestly, this is, uh, I mean, aside from being a little kid and in and, and a Catholic grade school, and trying to picture a human inside of a whale's mouth and wondering if a whale's mouth is actually big enough to hold a human. It certainly is. Evidently it is. Yeah. Um, um, and the, the, the choke point, pardon, pardon I'm going to drop the rim shot in here. The choke point <laughs> is that while the whale's mouth is easily big enough to hold multiple people, their esophagus is not big enough to swallow. So that's why it, he literally made the whale choke him up by just being bigger than a shrimp. Uh, but uh, again, uh, Mr. Packard, from everybody here, <laughs> keep your hat on. Uh, I guess we'll have to say keep your mask on and your regulator in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, gosh, that's what I got. I think that's what we got. Um, thanks for joining us again. We're keep your hat on, guys. We're not doing anything special. We're just here hanging out, talking to you, looking pretty <laughs> on the cameras. But... We would really encourage you, if you have questions for any of us, we put our email addresses uh, in the video. We've got contact information down below. If you would be so kind as to support us in some way, shape, or form, you can do so via Patreon, link below. And uh, otherwise, do get a hold of us. Ask us things. Give us stuff that you want to hear us talk about or riff about or bullshit about because we're kings of at least one of those things. Um But until next time, everybody take care of yourself. Please, again, get your shot. The more shots we have, the closer we are to herd immunity. All the news about the shots is pretty much good. So get it so we can get the hell out of this and get into whatever's next. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Chris Vacano. That's Robert Anthony. That's Dr. Mark C.E. Peterson. We're Keep Your Hat On, and we will see you next time. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. And again... Keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. 
Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, Executive Producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, Associate Producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com and don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. NBBN. The Narrowband Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.